You're listening to the Candid Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Pardee. I'm a spiritual life and business mentor, helping you create a life of freedom and purpose. On this podcast, we chat all things mindset, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. My job is to teach you how to believe in yourself, connect to yourself spiritually, and go after your big dreams. Girl, let's do the damn thing. Hello guys, welcome back to the Canon Conference podcast. We have another guest episode today and you guys know how selective I am with bringing guests on this show. I really, really make sure the people I bring on are not only going to provide a lot of value to you and, and have an episode that's both entertaining and educational, but I'm also really selective with the values that the person is bringing to the show and, and the integrity that I feel like they, you know, show in their business and that they live. So after reading Sarah's book, Seize the Yay, I felt like she was going to be a really, really good fit. So I'm super pumped for this episode. Sarah Davidson began her working life as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer at a leading international law firm. While she enjoyed several years building strong professional foundations, she found it increasingly challenging to reconcile the all-consuming corporate lifestyle with her personal passions for health, well-being, creativity, and adventure. In pursuit of balance, Sarah and her partner started Matcha Maiden, closing a gap they discovered in the health food market for matcha green tea powder. Matcha is now one of the world's premier health food trends, and Matcha Maiden is leading the way with a very bright green future ahead. Sarah has now hung up the suits and heels to step into the business full-time. In 2016, the Matcha Mission developed into a physical venue and cutting-edge cafe Matcha Milk Bar. Sarah now splits her time between two businesses and is thoroughly enjoying life as a full-time fungipreneur. She has also started a podcast, Seize the Yay, which investigates the difference between success and happiness, the importance of cultivating joy, and showcases the down-to-earth human side of her diverse and esteemed guests. In late 2020, Seize the Yay evolved into a book form, which I have read and it is so good, and it's helping to spread the yay as far and as wide as possible. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure and so cool that we can do this across time zones. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Yeah, absolutely. So excited. Awesome. So like I kind of mentioned, it's, it's important to me to, to bring people on the show that really align with, with the values and the message of the Canada Confidence Podcast. And I really feel like that's you. I love the message you spread about you know, success is not defined all about wealth and material possessions and, and status, um, things that I used to definitely think success was defined by. And so I wanted to ask, what, what is your definition of success? Yeah, that's such a good question. It's really evolved over time. I think we all have a really constantly changing relationship to success. And like you mentioned, definitely started out with a much more superficial box ticking kind of understanding of what success meant. I started out as a corporate lawyer, very traditional conventional pathway where success is really defined quite clearly. There are clear job promotions, there are salary brackets, there are titles that you need to get and so many different ways that you can measure. There are so many metrics and then most of them are financial or sort of objectively successful based. And so it started off very much just trying to climb a ladder and acquire more and more of that kind of definition of success. But it was very detached from 
anything personal to me. It was much more, you know, what other people might think is successful. It had nothing to do with joy or fulfillment. They just weren't even concepts that I sort of indulged or allowed myself to think about. And it's not that I was unhappy. It's just that I never asked those questions. And I think that really blocks you off to a lot of what life is really all about. You're just not here to work and die and be successful. There are so many other things. So having had uh, what I now call the happy accident that kind of pulled me out of law without, I'm not sure if left to my own devices, I would have left the stability and security of that job. But having been forced out of it and shown a world that is so much more suited to me, so much more aligned, as you mentioned, aligning with your values and your core principles is so important. Uh, success suddenly changed completely to being measured much more through impact, much more through day-to-day joy and fulfillment and personal growth. And I think it is a really subjective thing. Some people, everyone would call successful, but they don't yet feel like they've got to where they want to. Some people have very humble existences and yet they feel completely successful in what they do. I think because I'm doing something I truly love and every few days I meet someone or get a message from somebody who's heard one guest on the podcast or read one paragraph in the book and it sparked a moment for them. I don't think I could ever feel more successful than I do right now, even if all of the metrics I used to have have kind of fallen away. Oh my gosh. It's just so, it's so much more meaningful. I think that that is is one of the key things to happiness is having an existence that we feel is very meaningful. And so I really like that. Um, So bring us back a little bit. You know, I want to hear, I want to hear some of your stories. So you were obviously a lawyer and then you had the happy accident, which led you to Matcha (laughs) Mood. Where in the journey, I mean, you could tell us any part of the journey um, as much as you want, but I'd love to also hear the part where you start to realize um, about, about wanting impact and about changing your definition of success. Was that when you started it, the company, or was that like along the journey of Matcha Maiden? That's such a good question because I think what's so interesting about so many people's journey generally, but also their relationship to success is that it starts off one way when you're younger and then it starts to stray away from those values somewhere in the middle. And then you end up often coming back to what you actually always knew was what you wanted out of life. So going right back to my childhood, The very first thing that I think set me up really well was the first of many big sliding doors moments where I'm able to look at something that happened big or small and think without that, everything would have been so different. So I was actually born in an orphanage in South Korea, which you will know from the book. And I now think I'm so incredibly lucky to have grown up in Australia with all the wonderful opportunities we have here, but it almost wasn't that way. So right from the beginning, I've had a very, very deep appreciation for the luck that you have, the circumstances you're born in and how much that almost leaves you with the responsibility to make the most of everything and to be fulfilled and to, and to have impact because I didn't ever want to waste the chance that I had to grow up in a lucky country. And the other thing that it started me off with is I was adopted by a Caucasian country bumpkin Australian family who are completely white and I am completely Asian. And so right from the very beginning, I had to grapple earlier than most children do with the concept of being very unique. And I think as children, we spend a lot of time suppressing the things that make us different. We get teased. We sort of don't want to look or seem or do anything that's different to everyone else. But 
I obviously had no choice and had to confront very early that what's unique is what makes you special. You have to embrace it rather than suppress it. And so I think I did start off with some good foundations for success being about having a great life, making the most of everything and embracing the things that are unique to you. And all through school, high school, university, that continued. I did everything. I was that annoying kid that did all the nerdy stuff, but also loved the drama and the art and the painting. And I think I, I started to lose it only around the time where you have to choose a job mm. and you actually have to start thinking about not what do I like, not what am I good at, but what should I do? And that's where I happened to get good marks I didn't want to waste those good marks and suddenly got influenced by, well, I should do something successful. I should set myself up for the future. And I chose law as a process of elimination because I got in, I didn't like blood. I couldn't do medicine, ended up in law. And, and that just swept me through uni, the same thing. Didn't know what I wanted to do, did everything, did lots of exchanges, studied languages. And again, uh, ended up getting into a wonderful law firm, but more because I just didn't know what else to do. And I would say it was around getting into an environment that was very competitive and very high powered, but very influenced by one definition of success that I actually got completely swept away by that. And many corporates leave their job to start businesses because they hate it. I never hated it. I actually was so gratified by being fancy, by living a life that looked a little bit like suits, by, you know, going into a big city office and working long hours. And I really wore it as a badge of honor. And I thought I'm successful. This is successful. What else could I want? Why would I want anything else? And that's why I get goosebumps. Cause if you're not actively unhappy, you won't change. You'll just be blinded by routine and habit and, and success and not ask any other questions. So it was only because my now husband has a creative agency. He's the complete opposite to the career path I started on. Had never had a job, always run his own businesses. And he'd sponsored this amazing campaign in Rwanda, of all places. And I got to go with him on a sponsor trip for a month to work in a school and see the funds that they had raised go towards installing Wi-Fi and, and doing all these wonderful things for this country school. And two things happened there. The first one, this was why it was the second major sliding doors moment in my life. The first one was I expected to go to this third world country and feel only gratitude for the life I have, the wonderful technology and opportunities and mentors and just the life structure that we have back home. And of course I felt that, but I actually had a bigger revelation in the opposite direction, which was that I saw purer happiness among the children there playing with a leaf for 12 hours or the adults breaking into song spontaneously because they were so happy they couldn't contain it in their bodies. And I'd never seen happiness without success. I'd never seen such happiness without stuff, without huge prospects of promotions. And I was like, how? how are you happy without those things? And why are you more happy than some of the people that I went back to the office and saw with all their stuff, anxious about getting more stuff and never able to enjoy them? So that was my first separation of success and happiness as concepts. And then I also brought back a gut parasite, which was fun for the first five kilos that I lost. And then I kept losing weight and got down to 15 kilos lighter than I am, ignored all the signs, kept working in typical A-type fashion and broke down into adrenal fatigue. Collapsed at work, completely embarrassing, had never had to confront that I had limits or that I had to look after myself or put fuel back in the tank and was banned from coffee 
And it was only because of my search for a sort of legal, healthier form of caffeination that I discovered matcha powder. And it just happened to be at the time in the market where the Kardashians were posting about it. Victoria's Secret Angels were drinking it all the time, but it wasn't branded. It was just like sugar. It was a generic product that everyone wanted, but no one could buy very easily. I wanted to buy it. And in my own search for my husband and I to have a source for ourselves, we ordered 10 kilos, which was the minimum that we could from this beautiful tea farm. It turned up. There were a million serves, too many for us to finish within the due date. And there was the start of a hobby that eventually became a business idea that was purely, again, in, in my success metrics, I was still measuring it by if I sell one bag, I can put it on my LinkedIn that I'm an entrepreneur and then I've been successful. I just tick a box and then go back to my life. But we launched very DIY, literally packing it ourselves, like Breaking Bad, but green. There was just powder everywhere. Uh, little drug scales from eBay, like everything was so DIY. But when you have a good idea and you put it out into the universe and get through, as you as you talk about all the time, the confi- confidence barriers in thinking that it's never going to work. It surprised us immensely. It worked and we sold out in a week. And that was five years ago. Wow. Oh my gosh. So many things really stand out to me from, from what you said. And you tell the story so beautifully. I absolutely love it. <laughs> I, I love the, the the humor infused as well in the book. Um, one of the things that you said, and I don't I don't know the exact quote or the way you said it, but you know you mentioned being happy, thinking you were happy with the success, with with like kind of the flashiness that goes along with it, and the badge of honor of like working all the time and having like a you know a high corporate position, right? And and then you said that if, you know if you're not unhappy, you're not going to make those changes, right? Because you're not asking those questions. And I think that is just so interesting. Um, I felt the same way in my corporate job. I was hustling for my worth, like going four years without taking the sick day and thinking this, I'm so proud of myself for, for never taking time off. And <laughs> it's amazing that we do that. <laughs> it's just crazy how much we put our whole lives on the line and our bodies on the line. And then when you look back, you realize it's absolutely worth doing that at times in your life if it's something you're incredibly passionate about. But I wasn't even that passionate about it. And yet I still sacrificed everything for it because you can just be so skewed in what you value and prioritize until you have something that kind of jolts you awake and makes you think, what do I actually care about? And while I loved parts of it, it is a brilliant career and I don't regret anything about what I learned in that corporate context It set me up so well. But I do get goosebumps thinking I might have been so blinded by that success that I kept going forever. And then it would have been late in my 60s or 70s before I even thought, wait a minute, like, yeah, it was good, but did I miss out on what was great because I, I didn't ask anything else? And what I'm so passionate about now and what I want the book to hopefully spark in, in, you know, maybe even one or two people who read it is to break that autopilot circuit for them and to make them stop and think, am I doing things out of habit and out of gratification of feeling successful objectively because other people think I'm doing what I should, or am I doing it because I choose it? And we have a lot more choice in this day and age than we've ever had in generations before. There's a lot more flexibility. There's a lot more openness. And it would be such a waste not to enjoy that. 
And even if you go back to exactly the life that you had, at least you've chosen it actively. You haven't just ended up there because you didn't think about doing anything else. So it's not like I want everyone to completely upend their life and turn it all around. You could go back to exactly what you're doing because you're satisfied that, okay, I've taken stock. I've done a little like cost benefit analysis. I've really spoken to myself about, is this an active choice or not? And I've come back to it. That's great. Mm, Yeah. I think that's something else that like, that we struggle with. And this is something that I, I really felt this way for a long time without even knowing, like, again, I wasn't asking those questions. I didn't really understand, but I kept noticing this pattern of I'll be happy when, or like, it's like, you're working so hard for that next promotion, that next thing. But, but we also, we also want to chase our dreams. So like, what can we do to kind of shift our, our expectation of happiness or our, our idea of success, I should say, when we're chasing a dream, but we're in that messy middle and we, we're not going to be, ha- we don't feel like we can be happy until the next thing. Oh, I think that's such a common feeling and attitude in this day and age. And I've definitely been there too, where the happiness was attached to the destination only. Mm. But then if, if you really look back and think about how many times you actually reached your destination before you set a new one, you wouldn't actually be happy when you got there because you just swapped it with a new destination straight away. So really in prolonging your happiness until I'll be happy when, it actually means I'll be happy never because you're always going to set the next destination that's not where you are right now. And that's a surefire way to constantly be dissatisfied with where you are. And there is a really fine line between aspiring for more And then also just being constantly unhappy and thinking where you are is not enough. It's actually okay to want something different from what you have, but not to the exclusion of appreciating and enjoying where you are. So what I need to repeatedly tell myself as well, because I still fall into that habit is, yay is a journey, not a destination. And the destination you often end up in might sometimes you get so tunnel visioned on the destination that you don't realize halfway there that you don't actually care about that destination anymore. So it's thinking only about the end game is actually so it obstructs you seeing anything else. You don't see the journey. You don't enjoy the journey. You don't even notice when the journey is starting to turn a corner maybe or turn away from where you thought. So I've tried to really bring myself back to having big dreams and goals out there, having ultimate places that I want to go to, but really focusing on, if I'm not enjoying each day and each process to get there, not enjoying it all the time and not being happy necessarily all the time, there are lots of shit bits in between, but generally feeling like I am appreciating what that stage is doing, how many small moments of success there are along the way that maybe aren't the big goal, but they're the small goals. If you don't enjoy any of that, you will constantly miss the moment and you'll get to 80 and maybe have the money that you want and maybe have, you know, superficial paper goals that you want, but you will look back and think, I didn't enjoy any of it because I was never there. I never got there. You can't take any of those things with you. You can't take money with you. You can't take titles with you when you die. No one is going to be on the deathbed and go, I wish I worked more and did less happy things. Like that's just not how it's going to go. So I think we need to maybe shift the focus back from that ultimate when destination and goal and not attach our happiness only to arriving there, but find happiness in each day, in the small things, in the small wins. I think baby steps 
in your career, but baby steps in your personal relationships, baby steps in your hobbies, baby steps in any part of your life have to be enjoyed when they're here. And, and it's, a, it's a kind of backwards, slightly morbid way to enjoy life. But I always also say like tomorrow's not guaranteed. It really isn't. There have been so many people on my podcast who have experienced really quite confrontingly that there is not always going to be a tomorrow. And it just would be such a waste to not enjoy every day as if that could be possible because life is the now. You only have now. You don't have later. You don't have the destination. So you have to enjoy the process along the way. Yeah, it's so, so true. And and one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on the show, Sarah, is because this is something I really only internalized like a few months ago. And it's if I could go back in time or if I could, and, and someday I'm sure I will, um, <laughs> speak at universities or speak to high school kids. It's like, that's, that's what I would want to tell them about. Not how to yeah. like climb the corporate ladder faster. Like do totally. that while being, but you can do both. So what are some practices um, that you have? I, I'm sure staying in, like being in the moment is a big, is important to you. Do you have any practice around staying in the moment, uh, being happy throughout like the day? What do you do to make your life fun? Yeah. So I think I find it really helps me when I put a label on something so that I make it an official thing, an official activity that I've got to make time for, because otherwise on the priority list, it just kind of falls to the bottom. And something that's really helped me in the last, probably the last 12 to 18 months, particularly around since starting the podcast. So I only started my podcast and even put a name sees the A on my philosophy about three years after I'd made that big shift out of corporate. And what happened in that first few years of business was I was so excited by this dynamic world and it was so much better suited to my skills, but I corporatized it very quickly and just started applying that same success mindset to business and then was burning out and, and all the same patterns I'd kind of shifted over. And because I felt like it wasn't work because it was so much fun, you know, people say, when you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. You work every day of your life even if it doesn't feel like that, you are working constantly, which means that you have no incentive to rest, but you probably need it more than you ever have. And so I had no joy outside of my job for that next three years. And that meant that when there was a bad day or things weren't going very well, there was no joy at all because I hadn't, I wasn't experiencing success or highs or fulfillment or whatever on those days. And I realized how important it is to have an identity and a happiness kind of practice outside of your job, even if your job is also your joy. So for me, I have a category of activities that I call your play TA, which is a section of every podcast episode where I force guests to, to think of themselves outside of what's productive and busy and successful and identify things they do and make time for those things that make them forget what time it is, that don't have a productive outcome, that are just purely for joy. And you know, new mums, for example, will be like, yeah, but I don't have time to like go and do a pottery class. And I mean, it can be like just lighting a candle. It can be just reading a book for five minutes or going on YouTube and watching a silly video. Like there are so many small things you can do each day that just put a smile on your face or make you laugh. Like it's alarming how far you can go, how long you can go without laughing out loud if you're taking yourself too seriously. And it's bad for your mental health. You're meant to laugh and smile and and just let go of the tension in your shoulders. So 
I love binging on Netflix. It's my way every single day to sort of pull my brain out of work and just indulge in something that is a total waste of time. But I think, you know, time, if you enjoy wasting the time, it's not a waste. I love crime, weirdly, even though my whole philosophy is about joy and yay, I then go to bed to serial killers, which is super weird. (laughs) But that's the thing about your joy. Like, if you enjoy something, it doesn't matter if it's weird. Who cares? No one else can judge you because it's it's your way of getting balance. It's your way of unwinding your mind. And if I didn't do those things just because I thought I was scared of judgment, like the only person with disadvantage is myself. So I make time for, I take our golden retriever for a walk and I won't listen to business podcasts or anything learny. I'll put on like some kind of weird true, true crime podcast and just get lost for an hour. I'll get in the bath and take a book with me and it has to be fiction and it can't be related to business or matcha or health or wellness. <laughs> And just indulging in little things like that make you so happy. Or I'll go on like even something as silly as a TikTok, you know, you get on a tangent and like spend an hour just laughing at stupid stuff. It's alarming how much better you feel after because you've given your brain a break from thinking. And as much as there are definite downsides to spending too much time on your devices and you can waste too much time on social media. I think some of it's healthy. It's healthy to just like have a laugh for a couple of, you know, a couple of minutes or maybe a little bit more than a couple of minutes and letting myself not be productive for certain parts of the day has been really important. Oh my gosh. I feel like you're like speaking to my soul. Like this is so so aligned. I'm like, damn it. Because um, I did this first of all, I did the same thing. Like when I shifted from being in the corporate world to being in my own business, I brought the same dynamic and the same. So like that just struck such a chord with me. But what I am struggling with right now is I'm the type of person where I do a lot of different, like I meditate and I do like all these self-care things, and but they, they all do have a kind of goal or even if it doesn't have a specific goal, it's like, it is productive to meditate. Like I do it with the purpose of like, you know, obviously all the benefits of meditation. I do these self-care things and I read these books that are like mostly mindfulness (laughs) or learning. And it's like, uh, what you just talked about is what I recently have been attempting to work on, like being okay with watching TV shows like crime. And um, I'm not so much into true crime, but like my husband and I are just binge on the, the like murder mystery type of shows on Netflix. And I tried to give myself um, a month without TV and because I just <gasps> productive. So I just can't. And it's like, but that's entertainment. And like, I need to be like, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally, totally. And you know what? It's funny that you said that because I had that exact thing. I would do meditation and yoga and all these kinds of wellness and self-care type activities. Mm-hmm. And then that would be all. But self-care and pleasure are different. And that's why there are things like music and ballet and plays and the arts. Like there is absolutely no purpose to sitting down and watching Mozart being played by a string quartet or whatever. Those performances are not, they don't rest you. You know, you're not getting health out of those things. You're not learning to play the instrument. There's nothing productive about that. But for the ages we have gone and done those activities for joy. And I think 
we've become so time poor and so efficiency focused that we have totally forgotten to make room for those things. Because if it's not health and it's not work, then we're like, oh, done. But that's why I got, I got so sick because I was treating it as this very linear, like do my health to go to work, to do my health, to go to work. And in between there was no pleasure. There was no joy. There was no play. And I actually have a triangle tattooed on my wrist to remind me it's not on off. It's not binary. It's not one line. It's three. It's a triangle. It's work, rest, play. Play is the third thing. And everything else is better. You're better at working. You're better at resting when you play. And it's funny because as children, we're so playful and we don't care if we look silly and we don't care if we're bad at stuff. We just do it anyway. And then somewhere along the way, we start to drop any activity that isn't good for something achievey. And then the, I think one of the happiest times for me has been when I started to just let myself do kitty play things again. Even when I, you know, wanted to publish the book under the name Seize the Yay, the publishers were like, yay is really juvenile and childish. Like, are you sure you want to, you know, this is a, an adult book about like finding fulfillment. And I'm like, yeah, but part of that is getting back in touch with your inner child and stopping taking everything so seriously that it has to be productive. So my husband and one of our really good friends and I, we went back to gymnastics and not like, let's do the Olympics gymnastics, but like, let's throw ourselves into a pit of foam and roll around for 85 hours trying to get back out again. Like, let's learn to do a somersault. What kind of adult has done a somersault in the last 20 years? But it is so much fun to just throw your body around on foam and look like a complete idiot and not worry about getting better at it or becoming a gymnast or making it a job. We just have fun for an hour every Friday and the whole weekend is better because we've just been silly. Wow. I'm so, so inspired right now. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I have like known that this is, you know, something really important um, and I've been, been trying to incorporate it more, but you make, you make some incredible points and I fully agree that every part of our lives will become better and we are more able to be more creative in our jobs. Even if you don't have a job that necessarily involves creativity and in, in the, in the way that entrepreneurship might view it, but it does. It makes us better at our jobs, makes people better employees and bosses and, and happier individuals. And um, I just love that that's such a key part of your message. I really do. <laughs> well, it's really only from letting it not be part of my routine and then seeing how bad it can be for your mental health, for your physical health and for your creativity. I didn't have a new idea for those first three years after the, the initial launch we had the same hero for three years. We didn't really innovate that much because I was just so busy in the business and never made time for not only working on the business, but being out of it to get new ideas to come back to it. And the other thing that I think is really important that I probably didn't, even when I first started developing this philosophy, I probably hadn't realized until, you know, a little bit further in that your joy for so many people, I think, the pressure is almost gone from having a conventional job to now finding a job you love and follow your dreams and blah, blah, blah. And that's so important. And I feel so lucky that I have been able to do that. But I also have to remember that there are people who, when they turn their passion into their job, they lose the passion. Mm -hmm. There are artists and musicians and creatives and many other jobs, but particularly in those fields where 
having to suddenly play music to a brief with money involved, with deadlines, with other people's ideas coming in, they're not joyful in it anymore. It takes away what they find so freeing about their activity. So it's okay for some people to choose to do a job they don't love, they don't hate, but it pays the bills. Like work is not, it's called work for a reason. And only in this generation have we decided we have to be fulfilled all the time. You have to have a job because you have to pay for stuff. So some people choose to do a job that's good for them but they've got free time outside and they do their passion there and they love to do that passion and that passion's infectious and makes your whole life more balanced and happy so if you can't find something that you love don't think it can only be in your work sometimes it has to be outside of that yeah you make a really good point um you know when we do like add all of the kind of stress and pressure and expectations of of that field that was once your passion, that can that can take that away. And, and maybe for some people, they have a passion that maybe they could turn into a business, but they prefer not to. And maybe that's the best for them to, to be able to be fulfilled with that as a passion in addition to their business. Or, you know, maybe they don't feel like they can make it a, um, a full-time thing or, or whatever the case may be. But I think that's a really good point. You know, the world is going to have lawyers and it's going to have, um, you know, salespeople, which is what I used to, used to do. So I think it's really important for people who are listening, who are in a career type of job um, versus entrepreneurship to understand that entrepreneurship isn't the only path to a joyful life by any means. It's all about, you know, creating fulfillment and, and having fun and passions outside of work too. Totally. And I actually have friends who have thought they had to leave their job because, it didn't fulfill them all the time and they've gone into business and then hated business because there are some parts of it that structurally detract from you doing the stuff. Like when I was employed, I had a very clear job description. I went into work to do that job and I could concentrate on that job in business. I do this much, a tiny amount of my actual job. And the rest is the admin to support that job, the marketing, the taxes, the staffing, you know, all those things that you never had to worry about. And for some people that is so distracting from their actual skill that it's, it wastes their life doing that. And I've had many friends actually kind of rip the bandaid and get past that for a little bit. It felt like a failure and go back to their jobs because actually their joy is there. And I think, the most important thing is for us all to give ourselves permission to find our joy in a way that doesn't look like what everyone else's looks like. And there are people who freaking love being a lawyer. That's amazing. I don't want them to go anywhere because people think, oh, for some people it's really dry and boring and long hours, but for some people love it. And some people are creative in different ways. And obviously if we didn't have them, the world wouldn't work. So we're meant to all have different passions. And I think we all just need to own what they are and not need them to look too much like what anyone else's looks like. Absolutely. So, so well said. And I, I completely agree. <laughs> so you grew obviously like an incredible product-based company, but in addition to that, you also built a massive personal brand what do you feel like stands out about your brand that has made it such a fast success? And what tips do you have for those of us who are building, um, you know, empires and personal brands in that way? Yeah, it still baffles me a little bit because it came a very late second as a complete accidental side effect of the business. So it, it actually never happened because I had a strategy or because I thought it would supplement the business well. 
more came out of the fact that I personally found I was constantly on social media to build this business, the first business. And it was wonderful to be able to, it's so democratic and cost-effective to build a business and spread awareness of something. And you did see immediate results from how much time you would spend on it at the start. But I found that something that felt not inauthentic, but that was frustrating me about being more isolated and not having colleagues and all that kind of thing was that I couldn't talk about the bad days because it's not really appropriate to your stakeholders on your business page to say, you didn't get your order today because I've got my period and I'm in the fetal position and it's really uncomfortable. Like you can't say that. It's just not appropriate. You're not hiding it, but it's just not where that lives. You know, it's not professional. And so my personal page, which didn't really, I didn't really use is where I started to sort of express the bits that weren't as glossy and now that's very, very trendy, but then it wasn't because I thought it would resonate with anyone. I just needed to sort of get it out of my body. Mm. And I loved that when I did share stuff like that, other businesswomen who were experiencing the same thing would then reach out. And suddenly I had a colleague where I didn't have anyone to sort of bounce that off because my husband is my business partner and we were experiencing the process in a very different way. He'd been in business for ages. There were so many things that didn't bother him because he's used to it, that I was just changing worlds completely. And also that women, you know, we have, we have different experiences of energy and different times of the month and all that kind of thing that just our confidence and self-doubt is much more rife in women. And all of that kind of stuff was starting to come out in the content that I was sharing on my personal page. And I think it was just when that really polished, beautiful, color coordinated page was making way for people wanting to hear a little bit more of the gritty stuff. So it started to build a bit of a following and momentum around those conversations. And as the business grew and I started to get more speaking opportunities and networking events, all of that stuff would go on the personal page. And out of that just grew a voice that I didn't feel like I had in the business. And once we started our second business, the cafe, I had three male business partners. I also didn't feel like I could talk too much about the really gritty stuff there. So this just became like this little haven for me to talk about, you know, even I started very early, even when we'd have an event and I'd get dressed up and wear this beautiful dress. And, you know, I'd always share the really ugly before photo. <laughs> Sorry, it's my golden retriever. I knew it would happen again. <laughs> But yeah, I would share the bloated picture from 15 minutes beforehand or the bit without any makeup with my hair, like with matcha covered all over it before I ran out of, you know, packing matcha to go to something and just share all the other bits. And that's how the podcast actually came about was I realized these conversations were people's attention and appetite for them was growing so much, particularly newcomers to business who just felt so disillusioned by how perfect so many other people's lives seemed because they were so much further along in the journey. And I think the more you go into building your personal profile, less trying to preempt what people want and more just saying what is actually happening and being very consistent, not trying to be someone else because you can't keep up with that either just finding your voice and expressing it. I think it comes through very obviously that you're being exactly who you are and people really like that because then they know what they're coming back to and they like when people share a little bit of their vulnerabilities and 
you make a lot of friends randomly through the internet these days. And we've had so many business partnerships come out of connections through my personal page where two founders are going, oh my God, shit hit the fan. And then suddenly we meet in person and then it becomes a business thing. So I think being really true to yourself, finding a voice, keeping consistent with that voice and understanding why you're on there because it can become really like, am I there for likes? Am I there because it exposure, because it helps the business or am I there to make friends? Am I there to share a message? Like what am I on this for? to justify all the hours that you end up spending on it. And that makes it really easy to make decisions and have a good relationship with it. Mm, yeah, so good. And I, I really relate to that a lot because um, definitely, you know, especially when I first left my job, I felt a lot of like that loneliness and, you know, missing having coworkers and that, that interaction. Um, I definitely want to listen to your podcast and hear these conversations because <laughs> It is, it's such a real thing. You know, you see everyone's amazing success and no one's talking about their downfalls and everyone's just trying to tell you about how they instantly made a million dollars and they can do it for you too in three months. And you're just like, okay, <laughs> conversations people. So that's really awesome that you kind of honed in on that. Um, a follow-up question would be, either now or maybe this for you was more so happening in the beginning of like building the personal brand side of things did you ever deal with like the feeling of always needing to be sharing on Instagram stories and always needing to be like checking checking and checking and checking and checking your Instagram how did how did you if you did find a balance there yeah I think that is one of the hardest parts before the personal profile even on the business page we were posting like eight times a day. And because we got into the US very quickly, we were posting on different time zones as well. And that was before scheduling programs existed. So it was really eating up so much time in our life. And the problem was that it would also have results as well. So you kind of don't really want to put in a boundary because you're like, every time we post, we get sales. And it. And then as I added a personal profile to that mix and then started getting more personal questions and DMs and all that kind of stuff, it did become a lot and it still is a lot but I think I found it a lot easier than some people because I really enjoy it I really enjoy interacting with people and catching them at a at a pivotal moment which is usually when they would reach out anyway and talking through you know sending them a chapter of the book or whatever it might be, I really enjoy those interactions. I really enjoy the visuals of social media. I really enjoy jumping on stories. I do a quote of the day every day. So I jump on every day literally to do a quote because I it's part of my happiness practice and it has been for 10 years actually, finding a quote every day that makes me happy because then I have to find, even if I'm in a bad mood, I have to find, like I spend five minutes of my day goes towards a happiness quote and it kind of makes you happy even if you're in a bad mood. So I found ways and routines to have an idea. Even just people are like, what do I post for content? I post a quote. So I don't even have to think about what I'm going to post. It's really easy. Uh, and that's made it really easy to keep up with that schedule because I just fit it into my life and it's become quite automatic. And it does often go a little bit too far and I have to put in boundaries. So I have on my phone turned on that downtime thing. You can do on iPhones where it turns off all your apps at a certain time. You can override it if you want to, but it just triggers you to say like, you've had enough, it's been eight hours. Or um, I put on specific limits on certain apps as well. So Instagram is my feed, like my, my vice. 
And it tells me when I've been on for one hour and when I've been on for two hours. And I try not to do more than two hours a day because I used to just free for all, like be on it, checking it all the time. And now I know it's limited. I'm more efficient. I just go on and like check the things I need rather than the hours and hours of scrolling. What's really hard is if you don't like it. If you can't develop a way to like the process, it's very hard to be on there all the time answering questions when you're resenting that you have to be there. And my best advice in that situation is there are so many wonderful people now who manage people's social media. And it's not as exorbitantly as expensive as it used to be. There are uni students who are studying social media who will could be an amazing intern and you could give them a lot of experience and exposure into running a business in exchange. If you really don't like it, it's not really worth trying to push against something you have to do every day that makes you really unhappy. And then you won't be good at it either. So I think it's a fine balance. You'll know if you love it, easy. You'll know if you can put in a bit more, you know, invest in a course to get better at it and then you might enjoy it more. But then if you really just can't get past it, just find someone else to do it. Amazing advice. Yeah. I mean, because if you're, why not outsource the things that you do not like and are not, it's not your expertise, right? We don't have to be, we're not going to be good at everything. So totally, absolutely. And some people's businesses don't need it either. Like, I think there's a lot of material out there. Like you have to put your face out there. You have to have a personal brand because that helps you, your actual brand. And that's the case for a lot of businesses, but for some, like it wouldn't make a difference. There are so many businesses out there where it's situational or like it's word of mouth and like the business speaks for itself and whether or not the person behind it is there makes no difference. So sometimes you see business owners killing themselves over really growing a huge online profile, but they're a dentist in a particular suburb where reaching thousands of people in America is not going to make any difference to the clientele that they have in South Melbourne, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. that's where just blindly doing the, ingredients for a good business sometimes is a waste of time because you don't need to grow you need obviously to grow a target market in your specific demographic but if your business is really location specific you don't need to spend 10 hours a day on Instagram to build a global audience yeah I mean that's really that's really important too Um, I think that the dentist is just trying to get get followers that will have no meaning to him whatsoever just to have more followers, which I have done. <laughs> but, We've all done it, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Because you get so caught up in, in the numbers and then the metrics and all these things. But yeah, um, really solid points there for sure. I think the last thing I want to ask you about is, so you and your husband run Matcha Main together, you have from the beginning, and you both have big personal brands as well, and, and multiple business ventures going on. What are some of the like real ups and downs of, of working with your spouse? Yeah, <laughs> it's taken us a while. Uh, particularly in the early days, it was such a big transition because we'd had such opposite lives, like completely different structured lives. And then suddenly we're working together and living together and we're together all the time. But I think the ups are that there is nothing more fulfilling than you both being working towards the same thing, because then all the highs you share together and it's something you're creating together for each other you learn to respect each other's skills so much as well because when you've never worked together you, you kind of know that your your partner's good at something but you don't really get to see it in action and you learn so much from each other 
a really hard thing about business partnerships is trust and compatibility and being on the same page. And with your partner, it's so much easier because you already trust them and you already want, there's no competition. You want the best for each other. It's all for the the family unit. Mm -hmm. And we found that really, really fulfilling and wonderful that the ways that we're different are the ways that we are compatible because the split of roles in the business is falls so obviously between us. Like it's really clear who's good at what it's really clear. Who's not good at things. We kind of try and teach each other new things, but there are some areas where it's clearly one or the other. And I think where we used to have disagreements is where in the early days we had no division. We'd all do everything. And that was silly because then you end up arguing. No one has the final say on anything. It's messy. Who's the boss of what you can't make decisions. Uh, so clear boundaries and role allocation, I would say, is one of the most important things from as early as you can, because ultimately someone has to have the final say on a decision or you'll often end up in a gridlock and that's just difficult. Um, the, the hardest thing, I think, is two things. One is that you take liberties with your partner that you would never take with a third party. You would never say to someone else, that idea is crap, I don't like it. But your partner, you know, so well, you're just like, nah, that's yeah, nah, yuck. You don't, <laughs> you just don't shit sandwich it with like, I like it, but blah, you know, and that leads to a lot of resentment and you just make assumptions about communication about what's going to be okay. And it often isn't. So good communication that is separate from your personal life communication. Like you have to be able to delineate between when you're having a business conversation and a personal conversation and you can take liberties in one and you can't in the other. That's also really helped. And then the second thing is still on that delineation thing, but just personal time. The first three years, we worked so hard. We got such good results. We didn't have a date. You know, we didn't, we were housemates that worked on a business together and that's so easy to happen because you're like both don't want to take a break because you're doing your, you, you know, live in the dream. And we realized, you know, your relationship can just totally fall to the bottom of the list. It can anyway, but let alone when you're actually working together. But even if you're not, you know, couples already find it hard to sort of make time for romance and travel. And when you're literally working next to each other in the bed and then trying to go to sleep and draw a line of like, okay, it's personal time now. It's very, very hard. So again, we just slowly, you just kind of tweak and try things until you figure what works. And we played around with, you know, do we finish at a certain time each day? Do we try and work from separate offices during the day and then have days where we work together? And, you know, we don't work on Sundays or Nick works on his other projects because he has a higher threshold for working and I need like a full Sunday off brainy anything. Um, We have we walk the dog every day without our phones. Like you just find small ways to kind of quarantine your personal life from your business life. And it's not overnight. It takes a long time to adjust into a new dynamic in your relationship, but the highs that you get from it are absolutely worth it. Oh, that's, I love that. And I feel very, very inspired by that. And I also feel like some of the tips that you gave are like really good marriage tips, regardless if you run a business together um, a couple of years ago, I was doing research on, on this because there were certain chores that like, I was in charge of certain things and he was in charge of certain things. And I, we kind of merged different things. And I, I was doing research on it. And it said, 
you should actually like one person should be in charge of finances. Hello, duh. Like you're going to become better at it and you're going to be more efficient and you're the one who knows what's going on. The other one jumps in, you know what I mean? And then it was the same with like groceries. Like why would two people have that like take turns when one person can be more efficient with it? So that was actually a really helpful thing in my marriage where I was like, oh yeah, that makes it it really really (laughs) helped us too. So I think, uh, and then obviously communication, like, I just think it's a lot of these things are good marriage advice, period. And they actually have made forcing, it sort of forces the the issue, like things that you might have eventually come up against in 10 years time. Mm-hmm. We've already had to deal with that now because the communication barriers have been made really obvious really quickly. But now you, we can work out any com- kind of conversation now because we've become good at it in business. So now anything, we've got those strategies Um, and you know, I think there are some couples that they are so much better when they don't work together. There is absolutely, I'm not saying that any couple can work through it because there are some where it really does put your relationship on the line. And then you have to decide what's more important to you, the relationship or the business. And you might get to that point where you've, you've tried all the things that you've tried. And sometimes it isn't worth the relationship to you, but I think, there are definitely a lot of strategies and work that you can put into it to try first before you make that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even things like, like walking the dog without the phones, like that's, you know, I mean, that's something that maybe wasn't happening before the business too. So I can see how, as long as you're trying all these different things to see what works well um, for, for a lot of people, it could be really successful and, and fun. So that's awesome. And it's the same with any balance, I think. Like, you know, people think work-life balance has to mean that you have like gym in the morning and then you have time with the kids and then you go to your work and then you do your meditation in the afternoon. And it doesn't have to be like every day is balanced. It can be like a couple of times a week you do something. And if that's enough for you guys, it's enough for you guys. Like it doesn't, it's the same as anything, even on your in your own individual routine, we all find different things that work and we all have very different thresholds on how much time off we need, how much sleep we need, how what you need to eat and relationships are the same. Like I know some couples who can work all day, every day, all the time, and they still have balance with each other and they're fine with that. And we just don't, we just, we're probably able to do it more than other couples that I know, but we also need some time that's not working. And it's just, you just figure it out as you go along, like with anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I have one last question for you and it's what is, what is the most transformational book that you've read on your journey, whether that's like a mindset or, or a business book or anything like that, or a, or a fun book. <laughs> oh, I love reading so much. And I think it's, I've always loved reading Then when I was a lawyer, I didn't read at all because there was so much reading on the job and it kind of killed the joy of it. So now I'm finally back to reading. Oh, that's such a hard one. Um, you can name a few if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, I think transformation wise in terms of mindset, I loved Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck because it's so contrary to so many self-help or self-development theories, but in such a blunt and valuable way like you know you're not all a special snowflake not all of us are meant to like leave our jobs and be number one and not everyone can win and you know it's just very realist about all of us being different really and and I 
gave way too many fucks, like just about everything. Mm -hmm. And it's really a great book about being selective with your energy and what you choose to care about. And you can't do everything, but maybe you can do one or two things really well. Like I just thought at the time I read it now, I, I still love it. I had him on the podcast last year and it was amazing, but it was quite revolutionary to me when I first read it. And it changed a lot of the way. It's a bit too blunt for me because I'm a bit flowery and little rainbows, but I really loved it. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg, Lean In, was another really amazing book that on a self-confidence and particularly back when I was corporate, understanding our tendency as women to play down our success, to wait to apply for promotions until we're way overqualified and then we miss out because the men have applied when they have 60% of the criteria you know all those kind of statistics that I thought were like I did those things but I didn't know they were quite generalized and institutionally disadvantaged us a lot of the time so that really helped me learn why I needed to grow a bit of a backbone to counteract those habits and not change your personality or become aggressive or anything, but just subtly understand the psychology of workplaces and, and leaning into discomfort and fear. And Ariana Huffington's sleep revolution was another big one where I have always prioritized sleep the least where it's the thing I need the most and nothing is good. If I don't sleep, I, used to be able to do you know all nighters and stuff but if I miss a night of sleep now it affects me for seven days I just really need a lot of sleep I've had adrenal fatigue and that stays with you and the statistics that she puts together and the way that she as such a high-powered person who has achieved so much in her life explains that you don't suffer from productivity if you sleep more that you actually just get better hours like more productive hours when you're awake so you can fit more in and you don't lose out on life and you know, even that it's like the same as being affected by 0.05 blood alcohol level when you lose a night's sleep, like those drastic research into how bad it is when you don't look after yourself and don't have enough sleep. It actually made me take it seriously for the first time in a long time. And also she's wonderful. So. Yeah, I actually, I actually read that book um, years ago and it totally changed my perspective on sleep because I was the person who, you know, um, the vice president of my region got four hours of sleep a night and bragged about it. So I was like in that hustle mindset and I, who needs sleep? And that book really woke my ass up and yeah. um, it's, it is life-changing. And I think, I think this is a, a part in that book. One of the research things was that, um, almost everyone will say they'd rather have, I think it's like a, some ridiculous raise, 20,000 or $60,000 a year raise. Um, but almost everyone would be happier with one more hour, hour of sleep at night than getting that raise because happiness, obviously, as we know, isn't measured by a raise, it, but, but your sleep can definitely dictate happiness. So that's, that is such a good book. And it's one I had forgotten about. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I love it. Nothing else got through to me um, like that did. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. I read Le a lean in back in the day too, but I definitely want to read the subtle art of not giving a fuck or listen to your podcast and hear him or both. Um, so where can we find you? Where can we follow you? How can we buy the book? Tell us everything. Oh, well, the book is on Amazon. Uh, but if you follow me on Instagram at spoonful underscore of underscore Sarah, all of the links to the book, to the podcast, to the website, to I have some uh, 
jewelry that's like wearable yay that has a quote to represent each one there's little quote flip books that sit on your desk like all of that is linked from that one place so that's probably the easiest place to go amazing i will have that linked in the show notes guys check her out read her book it's so good i promise would not recommend it if i had not read it so (laughs) oh thank you sarah so much for coming on the show you've given me so much to walk away with and i'm sure people are really really um, impacted by this episode oh thank you so much for having me especially knowing you are really selective i'm just so stoked to be here (laughs) yeah thanks so much 